My name is Alex. And I'm Tora. I'm David. And uh, for those just tuning in, this is a um, monthly anime book club style podcast where we watch an anime series or season or what have you and then talk about it in a book club style with a little bit of lead in and other stuff in advance. Um, and so uh, since we last left off, um, well, the spring anime season wrapped up and the summer anime season started um not that much in the summer anime season though i am enjoying um undead murder farce on uh crunchyroll it's it's a name it is um it is a uh supernatural um sort of urban fantasy historical murder mystery series if the title didn't clue you in um Really great banter and animation. I'm digging it a lot. Um, otherwise, this has been a fairly light, um, looking like a light season for anime, which is which is fine. It's nice to have those every now. And I now. mean, depending, like you've still got like you know the second season of Jujutsu Kaisen started, so it's kind of it's pretty True. big. It's pretty <laughs> that one is Just, like that's fair. I mean. Like it's like there is plenty of like second season stuff, but like oh oh for if, the new stuff, yeah yeah yeah. If, if it's not something where you're already watching it already, it's a bit lighter. Fair, fair, very fair. Sailor Moon Cosmos uh, came out in Japan. I can't wait until they port it over here. <laughs> it's my favorite season. Is it a full season or is it going to be another it's compilation? A, it's a two-part movie mm-hmm. that they released in theaters. Uh, in Japan, like they did with season four, which they called Sailor Moon Eternal. So, I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, my stuff has been um, like like a lot, like a lot of continuation. Um, undead, uh, undead murder farce and Sinduality Noir are kind of the big ones for me. Um, other than that, it's continuation stuff like. Uh, sort of mini season of Tony Kawa, and then the second season of Spy Classroom. Nice. Uh, I think the only thing new that I'm watching, and it's not actually that new, it's a couple years old, is um, I'm watching uh, Amame, uh Warrior on the Borderline, because uh, I took uh, our son, uh, seven-year-old, to a model store, you know, for his, choose his first gun plot to build. And he chose something from that show, uh, The Ghost Mark II, which I'd never heard of before. And I'm like, okay, I need to watch this before I can say it's okay for him to watch this. So I'm going through. It's a very cool suit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really cool model. Uh, he, we finished it up yesterday. Um, he's, he, he built it entirely himself. He put it together entirely himself. Like, I helped with the uh, clipping off the sprue and the cleaning up of the pieces, but he put it together himself. And he's he's very happy with it. It's cool looking, and this show is definitely not for him. This is definitely higher, higher. You're also watching Witch of Mercury, because your Gundam passion has been reignited. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, we finished up, uh, because it finished in the spring season, uh, Gundam Witch from Mercury. Which... No pun intended. Um, it's good. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's one of those 
like most of the alternate universe Gundam series is very different, but also very much the same. Agreed. Um, honestly, the two of the, those two series, I like Witch from Mercury a lot more. Um, a Mame has some fun mecha action to it. Um, it's what is one of those things where if you know just a bit too much about some of the internal political messaging of some of Japanese political parties, it it starts going from oh this is okay into yikes. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's like it's like when I read the synopsis for it, I was like, okay, I've never seen the show, but I've seen the show like about six times. Uh, but yeah. it, as it goes on, it gets a little nationalistic yeah like it's not quite red dawn with mechs but it's not that far away from being red dawn with yeah and like they don't actually entirely bother at all to explain how they got into the situation beyond economic hardships and it's like you you gotta give us a little more than than two words to explain <laughs> how you've reached this Apocalypse dystopia. <laughs> yeah, like normally when they when I've encountered anime where it has the dystopia uh, involving a Japanese partition, usually it's post World War Two Japanese partition. It's Japan as what East and West Germany, um, and. This one doesn't have that necessarily like thought out justification of that, and like I, I did a review of like the first and couple first and second seasons on the blog on my blog for like written, and the general attack I got was the mecha action is good. It is really well done action. It is uh, drawn 2D uh, mechs as opposed to CG. It's executed very well. It's just the story around it is iffy and the in particular chunks of it it's not necessarily that well thought out yeah it i gotta say it seems like it was done by a guy who designed mecha and not like a actual writer (laughs) because you you can you can have series where those two intersect like that's literally like half of masamune shirao's stuff um like the other half is guy who is a guy who designs mecha and also draws smut. But <laughs> um, just so we're aware of where the like, cross sections are. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, it's or hey, like, sometimes it's actually, important that you need to drive your robot in your panties and bra, and sometimes it's just panties and like half a tank top. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, um, but on the other hand, like sometimes you have writers who are good at drawing mecha and not much good at writing anything else and are you and that's where you run into problems oh god um, that reminds me of, who ne- want of to be, uh, knights of sidonia <laughs> i it i mean there are people who like like not everyone can be can be mastering the hero i guess that's the, <laughs> the key thing there um and like I've read the knights, like I've read uh, Knights of Sidonia the manga, and it is it's a well drawn manga. Um, <laughs> I've read it, and it's well drawn. <laughs> it gets like, it's well drawn. I I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the character dynamics. There are narrative bits of the world building that are, and also there is the um, uh, Sutomo Nihei's desire to have a character in there who's just a bear. 
We could, we could have a really interesting roundtable discussion sometime just about mecha shows and their bizarre relationship with sexuality. Like, I, there are so many weird things in mecha shows that we could talk about. That's, that's not just mecha shows. That's <clears throat> all anime and the weird need to include an animal mascot all the time who's more than just a mascot. Like, there's a, there's a whole generation of people now who started watching, like, Gundam Wing on Toonami because they were like, oh, cool, giant robots. And now they've reached the age where they're like, oh, God, child soldiers, war crimes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And that's my trajectory. And, um, yeah, I'm actually really interested in watching Witch and Mercury, actually, because I'm glad that they're kind of evolving the franchise a little bit. You know, they have a female protagonist and they're trying some new things and I appreciate that. They're finally allowed but to have a female protagonist. The last Gundam show that I actually watched was Iron-Blooded Orphans. Oh my god, the, you did not... You finished the, the first season. I couldn't I couldn't finish it. The sorrow lingers in my heart to oh, this day. Okay. <laughs> like, the, the weird case in terms of, like, occasionally when you have female, like, protagonists and pilots and that sort of thing is like, uh, Double Zeta Gundam, not to get too far on a Gundam tangent, in a weird way, like, it almost gets there, um, because with our group of scrappy teenage protagonists, you have, um, like, Zeta Gundam's the first one that has a sort of Gundam team. Yeah. And the... that one has, and that one, in this case, a lot of them are, are, um, mechs getting basically inherited by members of our uh, scrappy teenage protagonists. <laughs> and, like, one of them is just borrowing Char's mech, like actual Char as novel. Um, no, it was Quattro from... Pacina! Totally <laughs> different person! Bubba, Bubba, he is a Char. <laughs> yeah. Quattro's mech from Zeta Gundam, and then the other one is flying the main character's mech, also from the previous season. The, pr- the, the... Uh, yeah, the two, because it was the Gundam Mark II, and then also the Zeta, and then Judo eventually yep. upgrades to the double Zeta, and the Zeta gets passed down. And then it gets its yep. head knocked off and replaced with a Zaku. He, he's yep. restraining himself from giving you the entire breakdown right now. <laughs> I mean, Double Zeta was... I'm sorry. Just, Double Zeta was very interesting for a Gundam show because it was... It was episodic for about the first half because it was Neo Zeon sending a new strange mech and Judo having to fight it off. It was very Monster of the Week. For the first half yep. of it, actually. <laughs> that is interesting for a Gundam show. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Like, Tamina wanted a actual female protagonist uh, as far back as... Like, he really fought for it in Turn A Gundam, but was not allowed to have a female protagonist. Which is why Loran keeps getting confused for a woman and dressing in dresses. <laughs> it's like, okay, you won't let me? Well... He will be thought of as a woman and will put on and will wear dresses for reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, the other stuff I have been, um, yeah, like that's the main thing I've been watching. I've been slowly trying to get caught up. Of uh, speaking of female protagonists and uh, Tomino, um, bits and bits and pieces of uh, um, or a battler Dunbean. We are we are almost at the bit where they. St- where they go for the extended interlude, extended period in our world. Um, 
after having previously established that no, you don't want um, aura battlers in our world, bad things will happen. Um, and I have done a, and I've started a little bit of background prep work for next year and uh, Diamond is Unbreakable because I've started watching Twin Peaks. Goodness. Uh, to, to be clear, is this the original Twin Peaks or is this the new Twin Peaks? This is the original Twin Peaks because Twin Peaks, The Return, you kind of have to have watched the original and um, Firewalk With Me and the um, missing pieces uh, for that one. Fortunately, um, all of the series, the first two seasons are available for streaming and the movies are on the Criterion channel, so I'm set there. Nice. Well, as, as long as you do it quickly with the way they're gutting Criterion. <laughs> Oh, like I, I think like for at least in the case of um twin Pe of the Twin Peaks movies, at least for those, those also got physical releases. So and libraries tend to be very good about stocking most Criterion Collection releases, mm -hmm. except for very specific ones where there's pretty clear objectionable reasons why you wouldn't want to stock those, like Solo. Um, but in any case with the Twin Peaks from next season, that's a good way to, to seg into the second half of Stardust Crusaders. Indeed. Way to start off would be, we get a new party member at the beginning of the series. Yes, we do. Uh, what, did, yeah. what did you think of Iggy? Uh, initially, did not like Iggy. Um, and I think that was intentional given the way that he's yes. drawn very unattractive, ugly, uh, hits that uncanny, uncanny valley just solidly in the center. And as the series goes on or season goes on, he is drawn more cute, more yes. friendly. His muzzle gets smaller instead of a giant maw full of teeth. You get this cute little doggy muzzle. The eyes become softer. Um, so as he becomes more sympathetic as a character, the art style reflects that. And I, it was done really well because I wasn't positive that it was happening until they threw up like a flashback of all his moments and then you could clearly see it. And I was like, aha. <laughs> so that was very well done on the part of the animators. Um, I also like the idea of his character of this is someone who's working for the good guys, but doesn't necessarily want to be there he doesn't want to do this he doesn't want to fight and risk his life he has no skin in the game exactly until he does <laughs> oh man until he does let's talk about pet shop <laughs> so oh okay so first right off the bat i want to say um do you know when Yu-Gi-Oh came out because Yu-Gi-Oh designs super reminiscent of some of the designs in this um, second half of Stardust Crusaders. Like, I kept looking at things, like Pet Shop, for instance, and saying, that looks like a Yu-Gi-Oh card! <laughs> Alright, so, the Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh! was series. I want to say it. The, the manga started in 1996. Yeah, okay. Which is right about when the first anime was. No, that was 93, so... Enough time to percolate through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like Stardust Crusaders, checking Wikipedia real fast, that's, that ran from 89 to 92, 
So that and considering that Yukio was also running in Shonen Jump, mm-hmm. that I could definitely see this being a case of somebody what reading Stardust Crusaders or watching the OVAs, yes. and then picking that up and going like I maybe not necessarily. I think that doing something Egypt related is um, will get me published in Shonen Jump, but more oh this aesthetic works for me. This yes. aesthetic clicks for me in a way that I, I I hadn't been exposed to before. I'm going to go to the bookstore, grab everything I can in Japanese on Egypt. Yes. And... See, as an artist, I was wondering if Yu-Gi-Oh's creator was inspired by Stardust Crusaders specifically, or if there was some reference that both artists looked at relating to Egypt that brought up such interesting and specific design themes. I went through a big ancient Egypt phase as a young woman, um, like 12 to 14. and Adolescent? Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I did I actually did quite a bit of like actual research because the this was the young days of the internet, my friends. I went to the library <laughs> and read books and stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I recognize the names of the gods and everything, but in terms of art style, I don't know the reference that these artists were working off of to come up with these crazy designs, but I appreciate them. <laughs> yeah. Um, like in particular with um, Yu-Gi-Oh, there was, um, like, it was like, clearly they wanted to do a horror manga in addition to other stuff and then decided to do the game aspect for bringing about conflict and it just becomes goofy. Like, I can just definitely see what see like that particularly considering what we're going to get into a bit late later series with um we, we start talking about the um Egyptian god opponents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that uh, I can see those those two kind of clicking there um so I can also get into it and talk about the um, Egyptian god uh, enemies yeah. of this series. Start uh, off with uh, like the yeah. last season we had the tarot. This season we had the nine Egyptian gods. And vanilla ice. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you get to the end there and you're like, okay. And this other guy. <laughs> Uh, so, mm, I I read ahead, kind of, <gasps> and my understanding is that actually Dio had an artifact that allowed him to give people stand powers. Is that correct? <laughs> that comes up later Pretty in the much. series? Okay. Yeah, this comes up later in the series. Um, Come on, man, uh, basically... you need to die before you'll stay dead, man! <laughs> And the answer is just you have you have the artifact so that you can have a legacy of Dio to stick around for later for the next future generations. I was shocked when I read that because it kind of recontextualizes things. Like if you think back to the first half of the season, the stand user who was a baby, did Dio stab this baby with an artifact that grants stand powers and why? Like... (laughs) I have so many questions. As we see when Dio just walks down the street, he will absolutely indiscriminately do damage to 
just do damage to people. Sure. <laughs> you're not technically in my way, but you're close enough that I'll just, you're close I don't enough know, for me to explode stab. part of you, maybe. It's like that scene in the new X-Men movies where Quicksilver is going through the area of slowed down time because he's so fast and he's just fucking with everybody. That's Dio. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, uh, they do a good job making Dio seem a little bit... Well, how do I, he's a chaotic evil gremlin, you know? He will absolutely do things for the lulls. Um... <laughs> It doesn't quite mesh with how they show him through the majority of the season, which is this very aloof, shadowed, mastermind type figure. Um, I, I will say, like, you have this foreknowledge of Dio if you watch the first season and what he was like. Which, given that this is the second or third season, hopefully you watched the first. Hopefully. And then you have this portrayal of him throughout almost all of Stardust Crusaders as this aloof shadowed mastermind figure in the background. And then when you get to the final fight, you're actually like the protagonists are actually interacting with him directly. He he's just a he's just a a, a, a goofy crazy dude, man. I, <laughs> I I don't think being locked in a coffin Childish underwater for nearly a hundred years did much for his sanity. I don't I don't think so. Um So in my head, I was kind of thinking, God, where did he find all these people to follow him? And then, you know, the the question of that artifact coming up kind of answered that for me. It was like, oh, he created minions. Ah, Uh that's instead. So, like, of these minions, like the ones I particularly like, um, Oingo and Boingo are great. I hate them so much. And it is almost entirely due to the art style. (laughs) Like the, the first Oingo and Boingo story, which is basically like a Wiley e. Coyote oh cartoon. The first so one funny. was so funny. I was like, I hate the art, but this is so funny. I loved it. I was cracking. And then they brought back, and I'm like, Actually, for a two-parter, and I'm like, no. I have to disagree with my esteemed spouse. I, I loved, I loved it. Um, I thought pairing Mondata with Hall Horse was genius. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh. It was it was so funny. Um, the idea of a comic that tells you the future, great. No notes. Uh. I mean, honestly, when I was seeing that, I, what I was flashing to was the fucking uh, foreknowledge giving Game Gear from Surf Ninjas. That's what I was. <laughs> I remember <Yes>. that. <laughs> Because it's just so absurd, but it's also completely accurate. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bringing Surf Ninjas into this. I appreciate you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Surf Ninjas, an unappreciated masterpiece or complete trash? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, um, yeah. I, so the art style of that comic was 100% wackadoodle. I appreciated it as an artist. Um, I didn't like like it personally, but <laughs> I appreciated it. <laughs> I think the idea of the Egyptian god Thoth telling the future in the form of a comic book was actually pretty good. Like I, <laughs> I could see that. Some of, some of the some of the god cards were reaching. <sighs> Bastet. Not God cards. That's you, Kyoga. 
Dio has nine Egyptian god cards, which means Kaiba's in deep shit. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I couldn't help it. They do show cards, though. Like, they did the tarot, yeah. so they did show cards for the gods, so that's where I'm getting that from. It wasn't completely Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> uh, Bastet related to attraction, magnetic, sure, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, but but it does give, the episode does give the great fourth wall breaking moment of, wait a minute, normally it's Polar F who has problems with Bast. That was amazing. Actually, that whole episode <laughs> with, with Bast was amazing, and I loved it the most. Joseph, hilarious. <laughs> like, that that whole thing where he's being chased around by the very foxy old woman. Loved that. And then he and Avdol caught in a compromising position. <laughs> Loved that. <laughs> Loved it so much. Um, <laughs> and I, I really liked Mariah, actually, because she was just like, I, she was also kind of just clearly doing it for kicks, like <laughs> Master Dio wants this, but also it's just But also funny. it's funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciated the little Tex Avery moment before they reveal before she revealed that she'd had a bunch of um um screws and bolts and so forth yes! stuffed in her bra. <laughs> like 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 yes. like the, the, the moment with Joseph when his eye kind of bulges a bit, it's like, Tex Avery would approve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was, that was pretty great. Um, it, it kind of took me to Austin Powers for a moment, you know, the fembots with the gun boobs. <laughs> oh, man. So, I, I loved that one. I loved <laughs> Mondada's shtick. Um, I, I, I hated Alessi and his whole thing. I, I, that, that episode was. Which one was he? Uncomfortable. That was the one where Polner F got turned into a child. Oh, God, yes. Uh. Yeah, that, that, that one was not good. I do, like, I do like, apparently in the first Capcom video game, there are side content, which is alternate scenarios. Um, and the side content for there for Alessi is what if Alessi ran into Joseph? Oh no! Yes. Uh, which, which basically would have been he runs into Joseph and reverts him to battle yes! tendencies. And Alessi realizes that he has made poor life choices. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but oh yes, that would have been amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh god, just there, there was just there was just a lot of uncomfortable things in that episode. And I'm not talking about like little boy nudity. I don't have a problem with that as the mother of a little boy. I'm just talking about this villain specifically wanting to kill little children and prey on those weaker than him. And then Polnareff's adult male reactions to a woman while he's trapped in the body of a little boy, uncomfortable. And then like at the end of the episode, they give him this very like, serious moment of like romantic longing but no i'm going to be the good person and move on and i was like ick okay (laughs) also somehow he got his earring back by the next episode even though the woman kept it we've just we just determined that he has a stock of those (laughs) yes he keeps losing one earring at a time and (laughs) is showing up 
a scene or two later with Bo. Dude's got backups. <laughs> and backups for the backups. And where does he keep them? Mm, he his, doesn't even have a whole shirt. He keeps them in, in nature's pocket in his pillowy mad bosoms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. I know. Oh, okay. And then, <laughs> and then, like, so last season, or the, the first half, we ran into conversation with Kay. Jotaro isn't doing that much in this season. When does he kind of do come into his own? And the answer is this season with the Darby brothers. Yes. Yes, yes. Oh, you fool, you foolish fool. You have chosen to challenge a Japanese delinquent. (laughs) (laughs) To a game. I love how Joseph becomes the narrator of these events. While Jotaro's just sitting there stone-facing it, and Joseph's like, what is going on? And then it's explaining everything. Oh, no! Oh, so, 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 that's, so that's only for the the um, uh, the video yeah, game one. Darby for the, the Younger. Yeah, Darby the Younger. For Darby the Old. It was Abdol in the first one. Yeah, the, if yeah for that one's Abdol. Abdol is a great narrator for he all is. of this. <laughs> and this, like... And just Jotaro's like, like oh, I'm not looking this at This is why you're friends with Joseph. <laughs> yeah, like like Jotaro's like, I'm not even gonna look at the cards, I'm just gonna bet. And um <laughs> This is force of and will. Daniel's people. like, oh no, like like did I screw up with with the uh with the deck stacking? I and, and like and it's just like he's just consumed by his own Anxiety. Fellow D&D players, this is what a natural 20 intimidation check looks like. <laughs> yes. Deception. Or deception. Bluff. Yeah, that works too. It was great. It was a high charisma roll for sure. But yeah, it was just like the, the force of will. Uh, he throws his mother's soul on the table. We're all rightfully like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> Speaking of, it works. We got some of Jotaro's grandmother, Joseph's wife, uh, Susie Q. Susie Q. And why is everyone underestimating her? It's like she was a student of Joseph's mom too, Lisa. Lisa, she was there. Why is everyone pretending like she can't deal with this shit? She's dealt with it before. I, this is this is a recurring theme, not just in this show, but in anime in general. Of like protecting someone you love by keeping things from them. Oh yeah, that, that's just anime. And that's it, not it. Yes, all media. <laughs> it has been proven to be bullshit in real life, but it still happens partially because of bad examples like this. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. It's like I want to see badass grandma. Maybe she'll come up later. Seasons. It would have been nice to see her kick someone's butt, but hey, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Although the reveal at the end that she, actually, yeah. you know, she may not know everything, but she's not an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of wouldn't have minded seeing for that matter, like Lisa stand wielding Lisa. Lisa that would have been cool. That would have been great. Although she would have been like a hundred. Yeah, a hundred. I don't know. She, she yeah. was crazy young the last time we saw her. I mean, that was the thing is that <laughs> a hormone users age super slowly. Like Joseph is gray haired, but he doesn't look much older than like thirty five. Joseph is the buffest grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So then we get to, I think, the episode with Pet Shop. 
was the episode where Iggy and Pet Shop face off was like one of the strongest episodes of the season. Um, it was kind. It was kind of self-contained in a really nice way. It had really good like twists and turns, and it did like a complete one Iggy on uh, <laughs> a complete one eighty on Iggy and his character development, which was great. Um, also, Pet Shop was just awesome. Like, <laughs> I was like, of course there's another animal stand user to face off with Iggy and it's an evil bird. <laughs> that was great. Making Horace an actual falcon? Sure. <laughs> it's like, making him an, e- an evil falcon. That, I mean, tops there. Just so on the nose, but I respect it. The Giving him the power of controlling ice. Random. Why? Okay. Random, but okay. It, it's the little helmet that did it for me. The little helmet was just chef's kiss. What <laughs> a bird. Mwah. <laughs> but no, that whole episode, I was like invested, you know? I was I was in it. Um, and I was I was really invested in all the twists and turns and the, the, the ways that Iggy was trying to get out of the situations and outsmart Pet Shop. And I thought it was just incredible. Like that episode was quality for me. <laughs> Let's see what else. Um, what other ones we haven't talked about? We haven't talked actually. We haven't talked about Nadul, whose powers basically are water telekinesis and being daredevil. Indeed. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> he was first episode, uh, so kind of have to give us the way back. I do have a slight nitpick on on his stand's powers, which is they essentially win by using Avdol to evaporate most of his stand, but they're in the Sahara Desert, wouldn't the natural environment have kind of done most of that work? <laughs> so are we saying that only magical fire can affect the magical water? Is that the rule? I think the fact that he didn't wait until they were closer to the city and, you know, the Nile to fight them was a bit of a mistake on his part. It's like, okay, I'm going to attack you at literally the place I am the weakest in the entire goddamn world. That's a good point, actually. <laughs> Yep. I mean, Master Dio said yep. I had to deal with him, so I guess I have to deal with him before anyone else whose powers might work better in the desert. <laughs> I also think the season suffered just a little bit from every new stand user they fought. Someone was sure to say, this is the most powerful stand user we've faced yet, or this is the most dangerous stand we've faced yet. Now, I feel like Vanilla Ice actually kind of earned that a little bit. But some of the others I'm not so sure about. <laughs> Words that have never been said before in the history of anything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I earned that. Yeah. <laughs> you can have that one, boy. <laughs> and the stand, cream. Giving us vanilla ice cream. So just, just to oh, note that in the, in, the, in the version we watched, the dub, they translated it as cool ice. And I was like, he has a big letter V, letter I on his costume. It's clearly vanilla ice, right? So I looked it up and I was like, yeah, sure enough. <laughs> I mean, same thing with Oingo Boingo, where it's like, Oing, where it's like, Boingo has a comic book labeled Oingo sure Boingo. Does. It's like, uh, I mean, I get you... that Zenyatta and Mandata is also a music reference. So at least they stuck with a music reference for the, <laughs> but I mean, come on. <laughs> It's like, okay, so yeah. you're worried about you're worried about a lawsuit from just the audio. Yes. 
but you didn't bother to change the Oingo Broingo Brothers song at the end of the episode. No. No, they did not. So, I do have a quibble here that I will bring up with the dub that we watched. We watched on Hulu. Um, and the dub on Hulu... We watch it with the subtitles on, so I can get, like, any differences between the subtitle translation and the dub that the actors are speaking. They don't bother to translate text on any screen. of the text on screen, ever. It's not subbed, it's not dubbed. And... Normally that's not a problem because you know the name of the show. You can figure out like little title cards and stuff from context clues. But there was there was an episode when Polnareff was fighting Vanilla Ice. There's this block of text that goes up on the screen that is like basically enumerating the three options that he's thinking he has in the screen. And he's like, I think I'm going to have to go with option like three or whatever. And and you're like, wait, what were the other two? Just translate the text for us. God. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, we're missing little like funny text that goes up at the ends of episodes and stuff, which is not a huge deal. But when it's central to the plot like that, you'd think that they would translate it. But no. <laughs> or Abdal seeing the clue carved on the column. Yeah, what did that say? I I was like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, being the which, one other of the Egyptian god stands we haven't talked about yet, um, and that would be Anubis, the... The sword. Not Stormbringer. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> uh, the, the possessed sword. I dig it. It's like, there yeah. are so many... You were not just a, you were not just an evil sword. Also, how did you get your powers? Were were you stabbed? <laughs> the sword was, was stabbed. St- obviously, no, I don't know. But I mean, if there are animal stand users, why not inanimate objects? It makes perfect sense to me in universe because the show is wackadoodle, and I love that about it. Well, why would you possess a random guy and make him attack when you could just make him give you give you? To one of JoJo's party. Like, here, have a sword. It's going to be a lot harder for them to fight that way. It's like, oh, But no. so much of the of, of this show's drama and comedy works on the principle of anticipation. So once you figure out how the sword works, you're just anticipating that someone is going to get possessed, right? And of course it's Polderep, because it's always Polderep, except that one time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't mind it. <laughs> I didn't say I had a problem with it. That, <laughs> that final bit when it ends up in the Nile, I was cracking up so hard. <laughs> Come on, Mr. Crab, I... drag me to shore. <laughs> Come on, Mr. Crab. <laughs> the crab's like, bye. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this second half of the season really doubles down on everything. It doubles down on the comedy. It doubles down on the weird factor doubles down on the drama and it doubles down on the cool fight scenes but i think like it it's fairly light throughout and then you get to pet shops episode where it suddenly is, things are serious it is damn serious and then it's the darbies and then it's darby the younger and it's kind of jokey again and then, and they then get it's vanilla like, ice serious and and then it gets super super serious yeah you know i was literally like 
um, during the face-off with Vanilla Ice, I was literally talking to the show. I was like, you can't do this to me. You can't do a goofy baseball episode and then pull this shit. Like... (laughs) A, a, a goofy baseball episode where, like, you have the end of the episode is, like, the 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 bad guy who part of Harvest Stand is, like, I can ask any question, and yes or no question, and the stand will give me an answer. And and the, last, the end of it being, are you going to punch me with your left yes, hand? Yes, 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 no, yes. No, 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 no. Are you punching your right hand? No, no, no. Are you punch me with both? Yes, 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 yes. Are you, are you going to do the aura aura thing? And, and then Joseph's like, yes, yes get it over with. <laughs> that was hilarious. Love that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we have. And, but but yeah, then we, then we get Vanilla Ice. And, he, and this is basically like the most dangerous, like real like, opponent of this. Not, not just of, like of the Stardust Crusaders, but like. He's like the um, was it Wamu equivalent for Battle Tendency? Yeah. And then so when, the, the yeah. dude with the dude with the hammer from um, uh, um, Phantom Blood. In terms of like this, this is the guy where like okay, we're gonna start picking people off and setting up how dangerous this really like everything is. It, this is serious business now. So when I heard the name Villa, Vanilla Ice, I was disposed to laugh because it's Vanilla Ice. Uh, <laughs> that goes back to the ninja rap. I, I can't help it. That was part of my upbringing. But I really appreciate that they took a moment to show us like how serious this guy was right away. Because he goes up to Dio and Dio's like, um, would you give me your blood? And he's like, hell yeah. And he just decapitates himself. Just no hesitation decapitates himself in front of Dio. And it's like, okay, this guy is serious business. And of course, Dio brings him back. He's a vampire. Although apparently he doesn't know that. He doesn't quite get that yet. Did you not think that <laughs> the fact that you came back after cutting up your own head was a little suspicious, buddy? <laughs> he doesn't care. He is focused. <laughs> he is focused on a goal. Um, yeah. So, you know, my tendency to laugh just because his name is Vanilla Ice was, was, was mitigated by that scene. And I was like, okay, this guy means business. But still, there was a bit of mental whiplash for me going from hilarious comedy to now people are going to start dying. <laughs> yep. And, um, you know, I was actually surprised with how strongly I reacted to it because I kind of knew in my head. I was like, I don't think they're all going to survive this. Historically, no. Um, <laughs> no group survives in JoJo. And I didn't realize I had gotten that attached to these to these characters. Or okay, Joseph, I knew would emotionally devastate me if he died. Win. Um, it's always a win. But <laughs> uh, but but Iggy, I was surprised at how strongly I felt. You know, and <laughs> yep. like honestly, uh, Abdul. I, I think yeah. For the second time. I mean, obviously, spoiler alert. But um, Abdul's death was so sudden yes that it only like it was so sudden there wasn't it was just time to shock and like wait did 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 they just kill avdol i mean again i was like wait he's coming back this time too right but all that's left is like arms and then those get eaten too gross (laughs) and then it's just like oh god how many people are going to die now 
Like it wasn't yeah, it, more it, people going to die. It's going to be. It was in my head. How many? Also, yeah, it, it, huge, huge warning for animal cruelty. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is not a season well, for animal lovers. There may be an animal protagonist. This is not a season for animal lovers. Yeah, like, like, like we were animal cruelty light in battle tendency. Um, like there's there was still some with the squirrel, but um, there were like not much at all in um in the first half, but then this part is definitely like yeah, this is a this is an Iraqi series. Bad things are going to happen to animals. Uh, um, but yeah, like I definitely like Abdul's death is spoilers for Serenity. That was kind of the the, the wash bite biting it moment. Yeah. Um. In terms of like out of the blue character, character dies. We, we didn't expect to go out like this. Even if he was going to go out, we expected something more dramatic, um, and less abrupt. Yes. And then they kind of reversed that on us shortly thereafter because it was seeming like Polnareff was going to get the big dramatic death scene. I totally bought it. I was like, okay, he's goner. But no. It was Iggy, and I was so bummed. <laughs> so I think the, the the drama, the writing throughout the final several episodes is all so good. Like I was very invested. Um, right. would, yeah, go ahead. What would you say about um about here for Kakoyin? Um, with him, loser. talking about loser or are you talking about Kakuin? <laughs> oh right sorry <laughs> that's uh kind of correct <laughs> uh Kakuin, um well i know the fangirls are going to be tragic that he can't be paired up with jotaro have that happy ever after i actually this morning i read the infamous clamp doujinshi uh jojo's bizarre married life it is just a quick two chapter little thing, and I was like, "Yeah, this seems about right." I mean, <laughs> I kind of knew of it through its its many influences or things that were influenced by it uh, later. I was like, "Yes, fair enough." Um, so Kakuin, I I never quite connected to him as a character. He had that one really good episode that nobody else remembered at the end of. With the dream baby. With the dream baby. <laughs> and I didn't really like that episode, but I liked Kakuid's development in that episode, if that it, makes sense. It's weird. Polnareff was the joke, but Kakuid was just kind of forgettable. He sat out part of the part of the season when he was wounded. Yeah. Um, he came back wearing sunglasses at all hours. Fine. He, he wears his sunglasses at night. Yep. So, I mean, to be fair, he's probably under medical orders to do so. Uh, <laughs> um, and he does get that very dramatic, appropriate protagonist death, I think you would say, where he is overpowered, but he manages to pass on vital information before he goes. And, you know, I was, I was fine with it, I guess. I, that death didn't hit me as hard as the other ones. It was, I mean, the problem is, is 
by that point in the series, we're just expecting the bodies to start piling up. So it didn't really have any sort of shock or, you know, unexpected. It was... Dio's gonna... I mean, by this point, Dio had killed just several bystanders just walking by them. So someone getting in front of him, yeah, they're gonna die. Especially yeah, challenging and, him the way Kakyoing did. Yeah, and it, it did not help. Like, I, when I think about it, like, we, we talked about it last season. Polnareff had a lot of successful takedowns of stand wielders last season, and a couple this season as well. Kakyoing never, like, didn't really have that many f episodes focused on him where he's taking down an opponent. And to a degree, it, it, I'm not going to say that it make, leaves his ending like as coming across like a like a um damp squib but it does come across but it does make it like come across like oh so he's the character who's here to to die dramatically well, like, I mean, like throughout all of kakyoin it's he wasn't really a fighter he was a thinker so his death being his card is the hierophant that's not yeah combat oriented if you think of any of the terror was combat oriented but i mean in terms of the usual meaning assigned to that card um that card is about you know wisdom and strategy more than it is about punchy punch <laughs> so in that respect i thought you know kakyoin's death was you know in character um but it wasn't really tragic i'd say like, am I happy he said? Absolutely not. But I don't really mourn him the way I weirdly do Iggy. <laughs> Man, Iggy just got dragged into this. Like, <laughs> Iggy I did not like for so much of the and season, he, but he, he made a choice to go for it and he fought till the end. Man, you could say the same about Kakyoin. I so mean, what is the dramatic construction that makes us care for Iggy's death more, even though Kakyoin has been with us longer? Is it because Iggy is a cute puppy? No. He I don't is, think so. He was cuter by the end, but he was still... Not too human to be a cute puppy. Mm -hmm. In my eyes. Um, this is an interesting thing to think about, and I wish I knew... More Like, I know a fair bit about narrative construction, but I wish I knew a little more so that I could kind of pin down exactly how the narrative fails Kakyoin in making his death a big dramatic moment. I don't know. I think Kakyoin, like, Iggy got that, you know, moment on the hero's journey of answering the call, where he could have run away from Pet Shop. Pet Shop did not realize he was an intelligent animal with a stand. He... You know, after picking on him a little, he thought he was, you know, just an animal. And then there's that kid who goes after his yeah. dogs that Pet Shop has killed. And that's the moment where Iggy decides, I can't let this happen. Where he answers the call to be a hero. And from that point on, he's a very heroic character. Maybe it's almost that it's, like, so recent and fresh in our minds. Because Kakuin was, you know, turned essentially by the good guys way, way early in the narrative. Well, yeah, like, Kakuin is on this to get revenge on Dio. And... I think it actually would have been better if he had explicitly developed an attachment to Jotaro, or any of the members of the party, really, 
and kind of like been doing it almost for them. Like, I believe he should have a self-intrinsic motivation as well, not just doing it for someone else. But But by the time you get to the end, he's been absent for a while. It's been so long since he was introduced and essentially rescued by the heroes. And it's like, dude, you could leave, you know? (laughs) Well, Polnareff Polnareff got that bit. He got his revenge. He, you know, finished his mission. He got his revenge for his sister, who was murdered. And then then he chose to keep going. And he's like, we've been through so much stuff together. I am ride or die with you guys. Um, I think... And he was just ride. Kakamine is is less emotive. He was just Um, die. He's more emotive than Jotaro, but he's less emotive than Polnareff, because most people are. Well, the thing is, he may be more emotive than Jotaro, but Jotaro got way more opportunities. Yes. So Jotaro, I think, because of his archetype, we're primed to look at him and think, okay, the slightest change of facial expression means something like a big emotion is happening to him. Whereas with Kakuin, he has kind of a normal affect. I was really struck by... As he is dying, he has that memory of always being on the outside, of being different from everybody else, of literally having an imaginary friend that happened to be like a manifestation of his soul. And so he's like, how can I ever make friends if nobody could ever see this, this, this thing? And now I have a group of friends who also have their own imaginary friends and we can all see them. We all know they're real and it's great. And I have friends for the first time in my life. And it's like, that's good. Why is this only being mentioned now? (laughs) I mean, that was the problem, is that he was treated like an enemy stand user, and that they only get their characterization on their deathbed, their dying moments. That's when they get it. Because it's like, oh, this person was a character. I didn't bother to develop it before, but trust me, it was always in my head. But here it is. Here's their backstory. And that's how how it was dealt with Kakui. He was... He died like the enemy stand users do. We get their backstory and... Because, I mean, I was I was with him in that moment. I was like, okay, I get where you're coming from. And I get why you're giving your all to help your friends out right now. But this would have been ne- better, like... But, yeah, I didn't have... 30 episodes earlier. <laughs> I didn't have these feelings going up into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And... I'll get to, to Dio. And leading into this, I like I want to get into the thing we mentioned off air on our sort of group chat. We didn't talk about this in the first couple arcs, but normally in the last episode of a season or last like chunk of a season, they will tweak the opening credits slightly, where they will add sound effects and that sort of thing for the action that's happening on. Screen. Which is very cool. Um, and it's like this little flashy, nice little touch here. I appreciate with Stardust Crusaders with the second half. They do it earlier when we learn the secret of Dio's stand and to a certain degree also additional power of of, uh, Jotaro's stand. And when they they do it in a way which recontextualizes literally everything you've seen before in this, um, in the opening credits. Because like, oh, these little sound effect things and that sort of thing seem slightly ominous before, but like, no, it's related to the world. Yeah, it's very cool. Um... And and they even stretch the opening sequence out a little bit further because we now have like like before you like you had like Dio over Jotaro's shoulder implying that he's this menacing force in the background and then we learn oh it's the world introduced and its power is time stop and now like no 
uh, Dio was in front of Jotaro, activated the world, and then walked past him contemptuously. An amazing sound design moment because they stopped the music for this. And then he turns and smiles and it starts to big back There's a big smirk. Beautiful. Yep, because because as we also... I think they specifically do this also after we've learned Jotaro's stand also has time stop. The implication being Jotaro kicking on his stand, turning around for a little Ora Ora and Muda Muda. Uh, Muda, Muda. Is, it, is it supposed to be Munda or Mundi to be world? Or Muda. it is Muda? Yeah. So, 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 it, so it seems saying Muda for useless. Okay. Um, with, um, like you, your, your, your attacks are useless. Got it. Um. So that's a fun little like bilingual bonus there. <laughs> yeah. That it's close to Moondy, which is world. <laughs> yeah. And so the the big final fight, which um that was great. It was great. Yeah. Um jo- Joseph went down and I felt it in my soul. And I was like, you were you're my favorite. <laughs> and then and then I Okay, so the fight moved on, and in my head I'm thinking, oh, Dio didn't just drink his blood right there. Thank God, right? And then, as the show intends you to, you forget about that. Until it comes back around! <laughs> it, was like, it was like, you fool, don't you know where we are? And, you're like, and you were like, what, where? I'm like, well, that's, that's Joseph's body. She's like, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I was doing it for Joseph in the moment. <laughs> and then and then Dio has a uh, a makeup transformation with lipstick. I, I'm sorry, I go straight to Sailor Moon whenever a transformation involves lipstick. I can't help it. Um, and he wears his headband. And I oh man, there there is a split shot of Dio's skull, like his bones, and he has the heart shape on his forehead. And I just died. I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> I don't know why this vampire has chosen to go with a heart motif, but I'm here for it. Um. <laughs> so yeah, so much good stuff in that final fight. The twists, the turns, the unexpected moments. <laughs> Jotaro going through the final like episode as if he doesn't have 12 broken bones. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, the, the steamroller the, the, steam the steamroller steam <laughs> I get it now I get the meme <laughs> like I, was, I, I, we've had some very hot weather recently and we had the, uh, my room open while I was um, watching this episode and I've been with my family since lockdown and so I have not been watching Joda's Bar Advance with my parents because they would not it's not their Fair. cup of tea <laughs> But I had the door open when the road roller happened. <laughs> and I just started cracking up. And my my mom like walked by like, what are you laughing at? And like, like this bit's probably okay for her to watch me round a little bit. Like, this is what I'm watching at. And like watching she, she poked her head in, watched for a bit, and kind of cracked up laughing. <laughs> to, like, even no context. Like, do you really need it? <laughs> what are you gonna do? How are you gonna fight him? Um uh, steamroller? Steamroller. What does that mean? Oh my oh, god. I'll figure it 
I actually, no, I really love this show's ability to anticipate what I'm thinking. Because when they first roll up to Dio's mansion, the Crusaders, and they're like, okay, how are we going to do this? I was like, burn that shit down, right? Burn the house down. And then later, Joseph's like, you know, if we're not back in 10 minutes or whatever, burn the house down. And I was like, yes. Why didn't you start there? And then when Dio and Jotaro are throwing down, and Dio's trying to figure out if Jotaro's really dead. I was like, just collapse a building on him, man. Just collapse a building on him. And then later, he's like, I'm just going to bring a steamroller to the party. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Hmm. If I get close, he can attack me. Hey, there's a police officer. Dio Shoot that guy. Dio freaking out whenever Jotaro twitched his finger was hilarious. <laughs> he can't really move. He just used magnets to make you think he could. But no! Clever punch! Oh, God! You may use magnets to make you think he couldn't. He's like, yeah, that's Joseph's grandson. Joseph's dying soul shows up to tell Jotaro to keep his cool and not lose his temper. And ten seconds later, Jotaro's like, nobody can keep their temper when this shit is happening. (laughs) (laughs) And and then ten seconds after that, Gramps was right. (laughs) Do you know what what your biggest mistake was? I know he's probably going to say pissing him off, but oh probably God. just agreeing to live with the Joe Stars in the first place would be his biggest mistake. Like he could have totally been Having like a crime kingpin. He could have made it. <laughs> these extra motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, it was it was uh, it was thrilling from start to finish. <laughs> I love everything about it. <laughs> like like they put basically about three, four, maybe five episodes, depending on how you count it, into this fight. And, like, worth every it second. It did not seem like it dragged. This was As not... opposed to many of the previous stands who were getting, you know, stand users who were getting two episodes. I'm like, yeah, you don't really need two episodes. This isn't like the Dragon Ball Z fight with Frieza, where it goes on for 20 episodes. And it feels like 18 30. of which are unnecessary. <laughs> no, this is all. this is all good stuff. The dramatic flow is maintained. The pacing is strong. The ability to tell time is worthless. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I can freeze time for five seconds. Then why are you doing this for like a minute and a half? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One. I don't think you know what a second is. (laughs) Seriously, do you know how long a second is? Um... Sometimes Dio is having an internal monologue, but most often he is just speaking his thoughts out loud to everyone. Just all over the place. <laughs> if only you Dio, could... like many like many Jojo characters, has no inside voice, has no internal Certainly voice. Not. He just <laughs> no. <laughs> Who needs one? D- Dio's design as... <laughs> was crazy. <laughs> So, you know, the entire season he's been this, like, menacing figure in the shadows, and then he comes out, and he's just like, dude, go rock, go walk the runway, go. (laughs) You are wearing orange pants, green heart-shaped knee pads. That that did it for me. I was like, oh my god. Not not even pants. Look, he's wearing, I'm actually looking at a picture of his character design for Stardust Crusaders right now. He's wearing a black body stocking. He is wearing a bullfighter vest with a long sleeve bullfighter vest. 
he is they're not actually pants they are like basically like almost like chaps or yeah um, extra for pants like orange chaps with uh, a green belt with a heart-shaped buckle and i guess kind of uh two straps going down to hold uh hold up the top of the chaps and then the green heart-shaped knee pads. And he's got that heart on his headband for a while. Yeah, the green heart headband. Again, the, the theming taking me right to Sailor Moon. <laughs> Sailor Dio. I'm not saying that's outside the realm of possibility because in the fifth season of the 90s anime, the designs of the enemies were exactly this shit. Yes. Exactly. Like, what? What was happening in fashion in Japan in the 90s? What was happening? <laughs> I'm not saying I don't like it. <laughs> I just I just have questions. And, and on top of all of this, I am, so I am looking at the TV Tropes page for Just Dio. Um, and they have the list of all the actors who've played him in various different forms, video games, and the OVA, and that sort of thing. And I, like, the, the Japanese voice actor who plays him, Takehito Koyasu, is a absolute wonderful full ham. Like, all, like, absolute all ham, like, all in, all, all ham. All the time. Uh, like, and then I'm, like, going through here, and then I see that, oh, there was a CD drama. <laughs> where he's voiced by Norio Wakamoto <laughs> who is basically Japanese Brian Blessing <laughs> I'm like I need to hear this <laughs> even if I don't understand a word of it I need to hear this <laughs> because like honestly at this point the only person who could possibly pat top Patrick Saints who is the English voice actor in terms of sheer boisterous ham quality, would indeed be Brian Blessed, or maybe, um, maybe oh, the actor's name just dropped out of my head. Uh, Gimli from oh, Lord John of the Rings Davies. and John Reese Davies. John yeah. Reese Davies. <clears throat> either John Reese Davies or um, Brian Blessed in terms of just the sheer, the sheer, um, the, 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 the sheer total ham, like boisterous ham, as opposed to like the softer ham of your. Um, of your uh, William Shatner or Ooh, this is the um, <laughs> uh, or um, oh, crap the actor name out of my head um, uh, I got a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell. Oh, Christopher Walken. Um, yeah, uh, the, the softer ham of a Christopher Walken or a, a uh, William Shatner. No, this is this is evil for evil's sake. Full ham. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, 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 this <clears throat> is the level of ham that requires requires like like if you're going to, if you're going to go any higher than what Patrick Seats brings on the dub it would have to be we hired Brian Blessed we hired John Reese Davies <laughs> because that's the only way you could get this much ham I do think yeah, the English voice actor does a phenomenal job yeah <laughs> I was in it <laughs> he he does ham well like the first thing I knew Patrick Seats when like you know, one of those. This this is so great. I have to look up who's doing this. Was his work on Tiger and Bunny as yes. Sky High? Yes, so good, so good. <laughs> Keith thanks, Goodman. Thanks again. <clears throat> um, no, the Geo's great superpower. The reason he is the nemesis 
is because he is the only motherfucker who is more extra than the Joe Stars. <laughs> yeah, th- that is accurate. And the voice reflects that. I'm a little surprised he didn't have a bunch of vampire minions. That like that is also true. Like only having like effectively the one vampire, like so two kind yeah. of vampire sidekicks. Um, one of whom goes out basically like a punk. Um, yeah. Loser, <laughs> as everyone will describe them. They're like we we need some levity here. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like giving that bit of levity did not do them any favors narratively. I don't know. <laughs> they needed someone to show them to the coffin. There you go. It was just oh. up the stairs at the left. I think they could have found it. Can we talk about the guy <laughs> in the pillar for a second? Oh, yeah. Blair oh, yeah. Uh, Kenny G. That was Kenny G. Or Billy Jean in the dub. <laughs> yep. My understanding is that he survived this. <laughs> Yes, apparently, according to supplementary materials, he survived it, hooked up with Mariah, and they own a bar. That's amazing. Which Which he uses Uh, his uh, illusion powers to make sure the cops can't find. That's amazing. I I mean, uh, uh, of the the supporting characters from this, sure, like, um, of of the, the, uh, the villains, like... To grab two of the ones who survive, basically go and start the bar with no <laughs> name. <Sure. laughs> Why not? Cairo <laughs> uh. is is interestingly portrayed in the arc because um, it feels like a great big sprawling modern city. So points because it is. Um, but the streets are full of innocent bystanders about to be murdered or completely empty. And there's there's no in between. <laughs> um, David says there was a bit that they censored when Dio had coerced that senator to drive the car up onto the sidewalk. I didn't say censored. I said they didn't animate it in this version. <laughs> oh, yeah. in the '90s version, boring. there it's it's a lot more brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's like Dio. We know you evil. Take it down a notch. He refuses. Dio never takes it down a notch. Hey, he's filled with murderous impulses at traffic. (laughs) I get that. I get that. And then after, um, and then after um, Dio is beaten, they managed. They managed to bring back Joseph. Oh my God, they do. God damn, Joseph Joestar. He got me. Okay, he got me with that. I was freaking out. Okay, so for those I of could you, not even. Okay, so this guy. For those of you who didn't bother to actually watch it, Joseph is Cannot killed even. by uh, Dio and then exsanguinated. So after Dio is killed. Jotaro has them perform a blood transfusion to get Joseph's blood back into back into Joseph from Dio. And he, uses and he star rises <laughs> and he yeah, and uses star platinum to basically reach into Joseph's chest and get his heart beating to get the blood pumping. Again, they anticipated my objection. <laughs> <laughs> and he rise, he sits up in the classic vampire sit-up, eyes glowing purple. <laughs> 
And he's like, you fools! You brought me back! And Jotaro's about to beat him down. And Joseph's like, wait, no! I was joking! It's me! <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> that goddamn like, bastard! <laughs> I can't believe that shit! I'm, like, I'm like, yelling like, right like, now. Oh. <laughs> like, like I love him doing the Undertaker setup, and then immediately going, "Oh, oh like, like, hey, hey, just a joke." God, um, my favorite band it. is Weird Al Yankovic. God damn it, Joseph! <laughs> that was that was that was that was peak Joseph, and I loved it, and I was like yelling. <laughs> Strong feelings there. Strong, Strong feelings there. <laughs> but you know, I was he was my favorite the whole way through, and um. I'm so glad that they brought him back. And of course, he was a goofy jerk right at the- Of course! That's Joseph! I was like, I will throttle you. You are not real! But I will reach into my television and throttle you, God damn it! All I can say is, I feel like if it had been Joseph Joestar who first met Dio instead of Jonathan, things would have gone very differently. As Dio would absolutely have run away from that household. Because Joseph would have been messing with him nonstop, nonstop and doing a way better job than Jonathan ever did. Jonathan was too pure. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan was a pure, upright Boy pure Scout. Pure and dumb and- ass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> God damn it, Joseph. Jesus. <laughs> no, that was, that was the perfect ending. Um. And, yep, we wrap up with... Um, are with Joseph and Jotaro going back to Japan and Polnareff returning to Europe. Bye, Polnareff. <laughs> he may have survived, but he went to France. Oh my gosh. No, they, they pop up the Crusaders on the screen and David looks at the screen and he goes, dead, 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 alive, but tragically French. <laughs> 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 Not that I actually personally have anything against France. I was dying. I was dying. Oh my god! Like, yeah, my my grandmother was Belgian. I speak French. I'm I'm all for it. But that it's was a very hilarious. French family I married into. Um. Oh my god! No. So thinking about it afterwards, I do feel very satisfied. Like the final fight was so satisfying. There were dramatic deaths. I'm sad about them in a satisfying way. Joseph's back, and I'm all about that. Um, and, of course, Polderef lived. Oh my gosh, this guy. <laughs> He's both the luckiest and the unluckiest. <laughs> I don't know what to say about him. I wonder if he'll get Robo-Toes from the Speedwagon Foundation. Robo-Toes. Because, <laughs> I mean, Joseph's got that robotic hand. Prosthetic, as he keeps saying. Speed I wonder if it's just the gift that keeps on giving. Like they showed up at the end in their van that was labeled Speed Wagon, and I was two like, words. God bless their hearts. Speed Wagon was one name. These guys Why is this are thing just the best. <laughs> Let the Speed Wagon Foundation no, no, you, never no, die. No, you, you see the, the Speed Wagon two names are their undercover vans that are seek. Um, whereas when, when they're operating in the open, they use it as just one word. Exactly. And that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I just I just made that up just now <laughs> as an attempt for a no prize. <laughs> I, I will swallow that hook, line, and sinker because that's how this show works. 
No, but like oh. the thing that I struggle to explain to people who see certain anime and they're like, this is the weirdest, goofiest shit I've ever seen. It's like, yes, but... That's because you the, haven't seen the weirder, goofier. The emotions are the emotions are real. The emotions are legit. The storytelling is legit. And the narrative foundation is solid, right? So even though the show is whack as hell, the emotions are solid. Like, do you get what I'm saying with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, one of the things that I, I think that is like important when it comes to like looking at anime and if you're trying and when people try to go, okay, we're going to try adapting something from anime into live action, whether it's like a straight live action adaptation or borrowing a visual, a trope or that sort of thing is anime is like sincere is like truly fully sincere. No matter how farcical it gets, no matter how absolutely whack I could do it gets, it is like, and can't be it is has full sense it is completely sincere about what it's doing it is never like even even in weird ways where it like will do a wink and a nod and say this this reads like something out of a comic book this reads out something out of a manga or that sort of thing it is still like with a degree of real sincerity to it um it is the difference between um to do a couple live action film comparisons it's a difference between where in um, Enter the Dragon, where the one of the characters is offered their plan to do uh, the bad guy offers to bring him in on their, his drug operation and his secret island base and that sort of thing, and the guy responds, "Man, this sounds like something out of a comic book." Like it is still said with full sincerity, in no way undermining what it has done before. Whereas when you'll have some other like more recent movies and that sort of thing, well they'll say a line like that um that is because they don't trust the audience mm -hmm. to <coughs> have that sense of sincerity and like if you yeah, i sorry i like I, I think that that's the important thing there like if and like whenever we get around to doing some like of the like korean or uh hong kong live action anime adaptations in the future in a, uh, a january episode um, it's a, I think it's a thing to be worth keeping an eye on or as we get to the live action um, One Piece or that sort of thing. I'm looking forward is to what that. Makes, yeah, what, what makes that trailer look good is it feels sincere about what it's doing. I, even the live action Death Note, I get the sense that it is sincere about how it is approaching the, the material the as opposed to... The, even the English okay, one. I haven't seen the English like, one. It, Loved the Japanese one. I, I own yeah, that. It, yeah, it is fantastic. German comic. I, <laughs> yes. I, 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 even like what I've seen of the of the um, of the of Netflix the one, yeah. uh, Netflix live action Death Note is it approached them a thing from a degree of sincerity as opposed to something like um, Dragon Ball Evolution, uh. which could not mean which could not necessarily maintain that sense of sincerity in a way that would keep audience Yeah, buying. I think one of my... F well, not one of my favorite films, but one I deeply appreciate um, is the 1980 Flash Gordon. It is done with 100% sincerity, no winking at the camera. It is the most ridiculous, over-the-top nonsense, 
But it is done with such sincerity. It's fun to watch. It is fun. It is genuinely entertaining. Is it good? Not by most metrics, but it's entertaining. And it's not, and it's not making fun of it. It's just this is ridiculous. And it's and that's wonderful. I think the market has reached its saturation on <clears throat> comic book style stories told with a gritty, oppressive sense of realism. Who is reading comics for realism? Certainly not me. I like it when things are goofy and crazy. And I think if you look at all the storytelling traditions of humans as a whole, having something that is goofy or zany or wildly imaginative or even batshit crazy is a common storytelling method and it does not reduce the importance or impact of those stories one bit. It actually heightens them in many cases because that's how we deal with certain things is by turning them into stories, right? Yeah. So I'm getting a little deep and psychological there, but all this is to say that well, honestly, you need things that are larger than life. People who dismiss stories based on the fact that they're not realistic or that they contain fantastical elements is, is, is a point of view that I will never understand. <laughs> honestly, I think for all of the wonderful things he brought us for the Arthurian mythos, Jeffrey of Monmouth removing most of the absolutely fantastic and amazing things that the early stories about uh, the Knights of the Round Table possessed is just a terrible crime. Like, the Knights of the Round Table were fucking superheroes. So yeah, we could we could go through different different cultures and mythologies all over the world and pick out insane stories, and they're all valid. That's all I'm trying to say. Hundred percent valid. The emotions are real. The things you take away from it are real, um, regardless of the goofiness level. And there's something personally that I love about absorbing a story where the creator has taken their personal passions and loves and just thrown them all in the melting pot. And I think that's why a lot of content creators on the internet are so popular is because you just do what you love and then you, you naturally attract the people who love the same things. <laughs> and, and, and it's interesting talking about in particular um, at this moment in filmmaking and such, because we are recording this on the weekend of Barbieheimer. Yes, yes, we are. And where we have, on the one hand, we have Oppenheimer, which is Christopher Nolan, who was a director, even for all of his like stories, which on the other hand are very wackadoo, like Inception, would also that. maintain, like if you think yes. about like the, 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 the dreamscapes he's going for, he also maintains a very heavy level of groundedness to the material no matter how fantastical the visuals around them get, um, whether for, for Inception or Tenet or that sort of thing. Um, and with Oppenheimer, it is possibly at its most grounded because it's a biopic about a development of nuclear weapons. And then on the other side of the equation, you have Greta Gerwig and the Barbie movie, which going from the visuals I have seen, I've had an opportunity to watch the movie in theaters yet, has very out there, spectacular, deliberately unrealistic visuals in a lot of respects, but also is with a full sense of of sincerity mm -hmm. to it. 
Um, which, so it, it is interesting having those contrasts this weekend. There's a place for both of them in artistic mediums. Like we have, uh, when we talked about, um, like when we kind of started for our, our second series that we did with, um, with Boogie Pop, where that is a series where it has some very wackadoo elements, but it is also intensely grounded in a lot of its vision. Yes, and it feels um, very serious and grounded. Um, whereas, so, like, JoJo, which is all over the place. <laughs> all over the place. So it, and, it wants to and do everything. It's wonderful. <coughs> yep. Um, so, yeah. It's like Joseph. Too bad he can't drive. Or fly. He's not allowed. He's not He'd do that. He's just not allowed because he always keeps crashing them. That bit when they're flying to Japan right at the very end of the show, David looks at me and he goes, well, Joseph isn't flying, so hopefully they'll make it. <laughs> I gave it 50-50. <laughs> and I was like, it's yeah. the end. They're going to make it. Don't you do this to me. <laughs> But then I was I on know. edge because, of course, it would go there. I don't know. Like, we could easily get, like, vampire, you know, like, shot to get to a person, someone, you know, two roads ahead of them, smiling with the fangs. It's like, oh, there's Dio's legacy again. No, they let me have it. They let me have it, and you should, too. <laughs> yeah, they, they did not do the thing which they did with the end of the first, uh, of, um, end of Battle Tendency, which is they didn't do a lead in to the next season right off the bat. So I, um, which like, if you were to go, if you were to stop watching Jojo's bizarre adventures altogether, this is not a bad place to stop. Um, my, my understanding the, 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 the Dio saga is, is theoretically completed. There is the legacy of Dio in future seasons, but like if Araki said, I'm done at this point, like, oh, th this is a satisfying conclusion. I feel okay with it. My this. understanding was that he kind of thought that he might stop. And then the publishers were like, are you kidding? This is the most popular thing. You have to keep going. <laughs> well, this, this is a, as the bane of many manga-cause existence. Um, I did too good. <laughs> so that's how get the Android's like, <laughs> And then the Cell Games. And then the Boo arc. And then Dragon Ball GT. <laughs> <laughs> you hear a lot of these stories about manga writers being pressured into continuing or pressured into going a direction that their story, they did not want it to go. So, a very different paradigm, I guess, than, than, than in America, where the publisher certainly has power, but we think of the author as having final say. Oh, I usually think it's the editor-in-chief who has the final say. But if you take a very popular author like Looking George R. R. Martin, for instance, like, <laughs> well, I, I think to a certain degree also, like, it, it varies depending on what magazine you're That's in. That's true. Like, it's important to mention we are like for all of the horrific blood and gore and violence that we've had in this season, this ran in weekly Shonen Jump, um, which on the one hand has the burden placed upon it of this is a weekly series. A weekly thing, so you need to keep having something week to week. Um, and like, I do not recommend reading or reading the manga Bakuman or watching the anime for a lot of reasons. There are some very gross depictions of, of women and relationships within women and that sort of thing in there. The only reason I would recommend looking at any of it at all is like maybe the first couple, like two or three volumes, where they get into the weeds of how the editorial desk for weekly shows. 
um, in terms of the <clears throat> surveys, in terms of pressure on authors to keep putting out stuff because of the cert because the polls are doing well and that sort of thing. Uh, I suspect with like certain other magazines, or the monthly magazines, um, or bi-weekly magazines, the pressures may be different. Um, to a degree, I can see with an author where they went reach a certain degree of success, they can't say, "Hey, I'm taking some time off." Was this thing something you've seen with Oda on One Piece, and we've seen with um, uh, Hero Academia, where they've taken like certain degree of breaks or like hunter um, hunter where they occasionally yeah, well, stop having breaks and put out a couple issues yeah well in the case of hunter hunter there's also the advantage of once you get a certain degree of clout you can just say that because important to mention the guy who did hunter hunter before that uh had done several other very successful oh, yeah. manga um so it's the kind of more than hunter hunter <laughs> yeah it, it, it's a sort of thing where you can where you can say i am taking a break and you and the response from the from the editor is we need to keep the author happy. Yes, take as long as you need. Um, I, 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 I could I yeah. could rant quite <laughs> quite a bit on Hunter Hunter and how I am I am not a fan of Hunter Hunter. I believe that stories should have stories and not just successive tournament arcs. I'm a big fan of work life balance though. So <laughs> yeah, no, I have yeah. no problem with his taking constant breaks. I think that's great. Uh, I mean, it's better than the alternative of like. Um, Ken Akamatsu, who was like, okay, I wrote the hair, I wrote, I drew the harem, now can I finally do my fight, my fight manga that I want to do? Oh, no, we need you to do another, we need you to do another harem manga because Love Hina was so damn popular. And and he, he finally got his, his battle manga with, um, with, uh, Yuki Holder. <laughs> and, well, as opposed to the half and measure that was back, Nagi Sensei? Yeah, and then, and then backdoor. This is an actual alternative universe sequel to, to Nagima. And he then had to rush the ending so he could run for political office. But I mean, it does seem like the author of JoJo's is, is, is one of those more kind of workaholic mangakas who is just churning them out and it's like i i hope you're taking vacations man <laughs> well, I, I i think it helps in a certain degree he's not in weekly shonen jump anymore, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like like basically once we reach the end of stone ocean um they shifts he shifts magazines i forget which one he's in now um but yeah he's not in shonen jump and so he can do more or less uh, I'm not saying he can do, not saying he can do whatever he wants, but it is allowing for a certain degree of freedom um, and letting him take breaks and that sort of thing. Because, like, Steel Ball Run shifted gears partway through to Ultra Jump, which is Seinen and is also monthly. <laughs> so. I can't imagine putting out a comic every single week i can't <laughs> well, remember their comics are generally it's it's like 14 pages black and white so so that's yep. two pages yep. a day on average yep even so 14 to 17 pages depending on, on the thing yeah, sure. uh also you are not inking yourself necessarily you have assistance okay. for that but even so um <laughs> And in some cases, the inkers will also be, or the assistants will also be handling backgrounds and that sort of thing. So you don't necessarily need to draw those either. In fact, actually, like, 
like depending on the publisher, the person, their assistants, it'll be like you do the pencils and the layouts and the story, and assistants will do lettering, inking, and backgrounds. Um, and if you're doing a color page, that is something that is handled by the magazine itself. So, like, you can provide some feedback on what the colors are, but the actual colorist is employed by whoever's publishing you. That reminds me, I wanted to mention in Stardust Crusaders, the way the color scheme changed at certain points and went completely neon. That was cool, I thought. I thought that was an interesting... Uh, well, they, they did, they've done it through the whole show so far. Design choice. But it, I, don't know, I feel like it was more prominent in Star Wars Crusaders, or maybe it just feel, felt like it came more out of nowhere. It was more highlighted, definitely, but which I, I think Mike did. I, I, I like the way that, they, you know, towards the end, they were tying it to Dio. Yeah. So the question is, every time it happened, was Dio using his power? Hmm. Previously? That is a good question. Um... Oh, quick plug on the talking about the uh, manga from a um, artist perspective kind of thing. To go back to the to to the first episode and the various things that led to me to starting off the series, I do want to recommend um, as a that's like one calls a companion to the series. But if you're interested in looking at a conversation about manga from a comics artist perspective, there is the Manga Splaining podcast um, with one of the hosts of that being Chip Zdarsky, who is a very successful comics writer and artist who has done plenty of stuff with Marvel and independent stuff and that sort of thing. Um, very worth checking out. Yeah, it's always fun hearing about the nuts and bolts. And also I feel like it, it, it helps to counter um, the very entitled um, attitude that some fans have, as, as in like people who are hounding writers. Like, when is my next installment coming out? God! <laughs> like well you know the creative process is what it is <laughs> so sometimes the ideas just don't flow and some people are able to work straight through that and others just aren't you know <laughs> so i'm always interested in hearing more about how the industry works and how the sausage is made so to speak well uh next might as well talk a little bit about what, for what we're gonna do for next month um, so for August, we're going to be doing another, starting uh, off another theme month where um, anime with a tabletop role-playing connection. Um, in this case, we'll be starting off with a series adapted from a tabletop role-playing game campaign with the original 1990s Record of Lotus War OVA series. This is available for streaming on Crunchyroll. There's also a great blu-ray release um there also if you um a portion of this arc um is also available in a novel form uh or the series is adapting partially adapting a novel in addition to a actual play role-playing game campaign and the digital version of that novel is available basically where all fought where wherever you buy digital books um so there's that option so there's that we're tabletop nerds, and we're looking forward to it. I guess we, yes, we, I am. We, we've seen it before, <laughs> but but it's been a while. I never saw the whole thing. You didn't? No, you did. I don't think I did. No. I saw scattered pieces oh, of it throughout the nineties when anime was hard to get. I want to say uh, we watched it together in the early teens, but you know, 
wonder if I can find my old bootleg DVDs. Oh, probably should invest in a more modern release <laughs> that like, doesn't make it's a sad. it's got a really good the Blu-ray release is really good. I definitely recommend it. Um, so we have that to look forward to for next month. In the meantime, uh, if you enjoyed what you listened to, please rate and review on your podcatching platform of choice. It helps us get discovered in the various algorithms. Um, and if you liked it even more than that, uh, please consider backing the Patreon at patreon.com slash count zero OR. Um, that ha- page- backing us on that helps pay for hosting costs. So thank you all very much for listening. Thanks, you guys. As always, interact with us. We crave your interaction.